Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Lip Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca Wetsuit, actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their Swim Run Wetsuit. Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. Alyssa, what do popsicles, jello, and slushies all have in common? Hmm, they all taste like summer? Yes, but also they can all be made with noon hydration sport tabs. I have to say, it seems like the perfect way to fully embrace summer while staying properly hydrated. Agreed. If you want to make your own noon popsicles, jello, or slushies, head to noonlife.com and use the code LIVEFEISTY. That's one word with a capital L and a capital F to get 30% off your order. Also check out Noon's new podium series for pre-workout prime, during workout endurance, and post-workout recover products. That's code LIVEFEISTY at NoonLife.com for 30% off. And be sure to let us know about all your summertime tasty noon hydration creations. Haley, how was your holiday weekend? How is everything? Happy July. Has it been July yet for an episode? I guess, I guess, yes, it has. We had an episode last week that aired in July, but we have not spoken. You and I have not spoken in July. And so ha- I will take your happy July. And I will say my weekend was great. I did the uh, Smash Fest Queen virtual race that we talked about. I did my eight mile race. I ran up a local climb here in Bozeman. It's called Highlight Canyon. And I've, it's a road and I've run this, or I've ridden this road many, many times. It's done hill repeats on it. It's about an eight mile climb. And, and this was the first time I've run it which was very fun and to make a make it even more interesting my sister Hannah was in town and so she actually came up with this idea because she had signed up for the smash fest queen virtual race as well that what if she started at the top and I started at the bottom and we raced so I raced uphill she raced downhill 
And we started exactly the same time. We started at 6 a.m. because we wanted to avoid holiday traffic. And she needed to get on the road and get home. So it was it was so much fun, Alyssa. I mean, it was a little bit like logistically challenging, but it ended up being so much fun. And the best part was when we crossed paths and gave like I gave her a high five. And that was just really cool. And I'm so proud of her because I had trained pretty heavily for this race I've been training a lot and she hasn't quite as much and so for her to just go out there and run eight miles downhill is is still very impressive and this hill isn't crazy up and down it's more gradual so it's not the kind of hill that like you're just falling down I think you're still working pretty hard when you're going on the downhill part and um I do know she was fairly sore the next day so congratulations Hannah thanks for making my fourth of July so fun that's awesome did you like were you nervous? Did you, I guess, did you, did you take the win? Are we competitive enough that you crowned someone here? <laughs> I did take the win. I actually am really proud of myself. I broke an hour. Whoa. I went 59.35, which I, yeah, I was not sure I could do that. And, and the second half is a little bit steeper than the first. And I hit the like four mile mark at like, it was like, 29:40, and I was like oh man I don't know if I'm gonna be able to break an hour and there were some like downhill sections on the second half that I was able to work pretty hard but I'm really proud of my own effort I did take the win Hannah was uh I think she was 116 which is still a very solid time and you still don't know I mean it definitely still pushed me because I really wanted to get past that four mile mark before we cross paths and I still the back of my head I was like oh man she might beat me and I will never hear the end of it because only one of us does this as a job and so it's a little <laughs> bit different totally no that's that's very true and I think I mean I can get competitive with anyone over anything so um, even if it's all in good fun, like another reason, like you said, to have someone, anyone out there to help you push yourself and you've been training for it, uh, is helpful. I feel like on the day. So that's, that's awesome. How about your family five, wait, four miler, you did the four miler, right? And you had your whole family involved and he's like, cause you were talking about this a couple weeks ago. We were having like staggered start times and chasing each other down. How did that go? We did. We got super involved. So it was actually, we spent the, the holiday with uh, Matt's family. And so he had his parents, his two sisters and his brother-in-law were all signed up to run. And so it just so happened that where we were staying in West Virginia, you basically get onto a gravel road and then the like cabin is four miles down this gravel road. So it was like, perfect. We were like, okay, we'll just do a point to point four mile race. And because everyone is at like very different points in training, some people aren't even really running that much. Some people are running a lot and like all sorts of things. We did an equalizer format to make it more fun where we had to come up with like our predicted, we used predicted 5k times and then we scaled it out to a four mile from there. And then Matt added some kind of like, because the, the route was very hard. It was going to be a net downhill, but over four miles, you had 800, over 800 feet of descent and 400 feet of ascent. So this is by no means a flat road. And so we added like a 12%, I guess, kind of factor for like difficulty of the course and just basically went blindly with those times like staggered and it actually worked out very well so Matt's mom ended up taking the win 
but like Matt was right behind her. So he was, he started in the back and was able to catch everyone except for his mom in the very like home stretch. I guess he could see her, but like she just got there in time. So that was fun. And it was, it's just, it was really fun because had we all started together, we probably would have sorted into our places and then just ran by ourselves the whole time. And so this was a really cool way for us to like, you actually get some time to like, see some other people out there and use that as incentive and like you know you're being chased which is always a huge incentive right so um it was it was definitely a good time what position did you finish I I guess I was probably well overall I had two people three people behind me so out of that what and then I had three people ahead so I was right in the middle right in the middle (laughs) you're right in the middle that's I love this idea it's such a fun way to get families involved to get more people involved and to get creative with this virtual racing I, I love what I'm seeing and I did I did really enjoy that so um fun things that we can still do these days another thing I did this weekend Alyssa was I watched Hamilton oh the, on we Disney did that Four. too well we only That's made it why. through half of it I still have to watch the other half but Haley did you have you gotten to see it live before obviously coronavirus but did you get to see it at all no okay I didn't really know that much about it but I have a couple athletes who are like fanatics and I just felt like I needed to know what the hype was and that's why I sat down I I actually sat down to watch it for the first time but then I ended up watching it on the trainer with closed captions which is actually how I am better attentive to to watching tv shows or and it was perfect because it's like three hours long and I had a ride that was more than three hours long and it kept me very engaged. So it ended up being, spe- and, and I think help, watching with subtitles helped me a lot because I'm not super familiar with the songs, but I thought it was fantastic. It was so good. What did you think? It's so had good. Had you seen it before? So, in- yeah, I had seen it in person uh, last like winter. Um, they came, the it came to Richmond and so I did get to see it, but we could only get tickets for like the quote late show, which is, I mean, it's only 8 p.m., but that was like, I was training for something at the time and like, 8 p.m. start of that was really, really late for me. So I like remember it, but I also remember feeling very like I was having to pinch myself to stay awake, even though I was like loving the show. Right. But it was like it was just so hard. Like I was just tired. So um, I was really excited to get to see it again and like actually get to, you know, and I mean, you're not like up in the upper levels of the audience either. So you can actually like hear a little bit more and like get to see some things that you missed and things like that. I thought it was really well done. I think like all Broadway shows should get to be on like movies, right? Because it's like, it's so cool to get to see that stuff and uh, not have to, you know, jump through all the hoops at something, you know, going to theater shows is great, but especially in this time, at least until we're back to that, it would be cool if we could see some more. I agree. That was, it was fantastic. And I'm not someone who grew up in theater singing and dancing, and I'm just so impressed by the singing, the dancing, the acting is fantastic. I also just love this idea of taking kind of a a story that's well known and exploring it from the point of view of maybe not the primary main hero. And I think that is just a fantastic way to tell a narrative. And I love it when it's done in this way where it's actually like, historical fiction or you know it's a dramatized history I guess so it's not like a hundred percent accurate but a lot of it is like actual words they said because then it gets me to go and like google and I'm looking up like how did this actually happen did he really say that did she actually say that how you know who was Eliza Schuyler and that kind of thing and so I'm really really into that like that 
opera viewing, you know, where you like talk to people or you look it up online or you read about it. And so I'm very, very into those kind of stories. No, I agree. And I think that it's just, it's a good reminder that sometimes, you know, what we think we know about history, right. Might, you might not know the whole story. So especially in this time, I think it's, um, just a good reminder to be kind of thinking of things from all perspectives and looking at it that way. But the music is so good. I, I first listened to the soundtrack. Actually, I had been asking for suggestions of what to listen to. Like I needed a new workout mix. And before, I think a year, at least before I had seen the show, someone was like the Hamilton soundtrack. And I was like the Hamilton soundtrack. So I was like, all right, like desperate for new music. Right. And so I had started listening to that, but I, I'm one of those people that always listens to things and I hear like different words. So I need to like, it's been good to like have it all come full circle where I can figure out what I'm hearing wrong still. And like, yeah, figure that part out. Closed captions. They're fantastic. I will also say one of my athletes, she says that she always thinks about Alexander Hamilton writing the Federalist Papers when she's doing hill repeats (laughs) and Uh, Now I understand why, like how that does motivate you because you're watching him do all this work and you're like, if he can do that, I can do this. Even though it's quite different, it's, it's similar. So there's a lot of crossover that will help all endurance athletes. Um, and yeah, I'll have to check out that soundtrack that will have to be, (laughs) I'll have to check that out. And then Alyssa, one other exciting piece of news for this coming week I'm actually doing the Ironman virtual race this weekend. What? And so, oh, <laughs> so tell me how, I'm like, I'm really excited because I have questions. So how does it even work? Like, did you tell someone you wanted to do it? Did they reach out to you? Because I have no idea. Like, do I need to put on, get myself put on some sort of list or like, how does that work? They reached out to me. So I'm not exactly sure, but I don't. I think you could, you could probably reach out to them. I mean, it's probably like podcasting. Like sometimes I like it when people reach out to us and it's a lot more involved than I expected. So I'm doing a three K run and a 40 K bike. And so when I initially saw that, I was like, okay, I can handle this. So it's like, um, I guess an Olympic distance, uh, kind of race. And, but you have to have someone film your three K run. And we actually, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I don't know if I'm supposed to like divulge these details, but this doesn't come out till Thursday anyway. And, uh, whatever, there was no, there was no like non-disclosure agreement, <laughs> but, um, but it's, uh, so you, the run is pre-taped. I think that's pretty well known. And, and that is like, I'm like, mom, can you come on like Tuesday and film me running a three K fast somewhere? And the course can't be net downhill which is also hard because around here, everything's either uphill or downhill. So I may have a turnaround. I haven't totally figured this out yet, which I know I have like less than 12 hours <laughs> until go time, but it's only 3K, right? So, um, and then the 40K bike is on Saturday morning for the women. And that one's like all synchronized and it's going to start at 8.20 a.m. mountain time. But I have to be like online at 6:45 a.m. Mountain, line, Whoa, mountain time. Whoa! To like so check all like the stuff. They like want to make. Sh- yes, and even before then, I'm supposed to like check in and do like a check. And I had even for the 3K, I had to send in like a sample GPX file to make sure my watch like hmm. has good enough accuracy. I guess so. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. It seems like a much bigger production than I would have expected. And I'm a little overwhelmed because I'm like, oh no. And it's like, who, who can I get to come like film me? And do I have enough electronic devices to have something showing Ruby and something showing 
uh, Skype and all this. I may be borrowing like a laptop from someone, but um, thankful that my parents live in town. But it's it's quite more of an adventure than I think I bargained. And Alyssa, do you want to know who I'm racing? Yeah, I'm excited because now it looks like I have my Saturday morning plan or midday plans for me, it sounds like. Right. And it's like 40K bikes, so it shouldn't take too long, right? But so I think um, I'm racing Meredith Kessler, who has been a guest on the podcast. Maureen Hoof, who has not been a guest on the podcast, but I do know Maureen. I've raced against her in Ironman before. And then Helen Jenkins, British Olympian. So quite the lineup. Uh, That'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'm really wishing there was a swim, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> also, I'm giving myself a, a little bit of grace because I think I'm the only one at altitude. Oh, yeah. That should be a factor. But you know what? This is going to be fun. And if anyone wants to come on and cheer for me on Facebook, watch Ironman Facebook, watch. I actually think the coverage starts at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, and they will show our um, 3K runs. runs Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then they will. And there are, like, preems for, like, different parts of this. And we know where the preems are. And, Alyssa, I'm not sure about these preems (laughs) for me. But... (laughs) come cheer on me and watch incredible performances by three other women who want who have uh, a lot of bike talent and and speed and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting oh that'll be fun and i can't wait to hear all about it how it goes next week then so that'll be good I know. I hopefully have some good stories. Hopefully I'm not still on there. They're like, wow, it's taken Haley two days to ride 40 kilometers. <laughs> Only if your avatar gets stuck or something. I'm sure you'll be great. But Haley. Then I'll be like, oh, there's a malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> I think I we do enough. The virtual. I think we do enough technology week to week with the podcast that your technology is going to be definitely on point for this. We are using Skype, which every time our show producer, Sarah Gross, comes on this, she's like, this is the only time I ever use Skype is when I talk to you two. No one uses Skype except for us and Iron Man, apparently. There are still some benefits to Skype. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, it's like a like weird plug for a company that doesn't sponsor us, but that we do use frequently. <laughs> All right, Haley. Well, I heard that you also had an interesting conversation with one of your athletes this week about a particular Zelios product. Oh, Alyssa. Yes. Have you ever tried to explain chamois cream to a non-triathlete <laughs> or a non-cyclist? Um, definitely like with, yes, with some of the beginners that I coach and enlightening to the, the joy that is chamois cream is one of the highlights I have to say in those early, early days of coaching. Right. So Zelio Skincare is one of our podcast sponsors and they make a fantastic chamois cream. It is called Betwixt and it does make life better. And so I was explaining to my athlete who is, who's a runner. So it's not someone who would necessarily use chamois cream all the time. Although you definitely could. I mean, she asked if she could use it as like, as like a body glide. And I said, absolutely. Because it's actually probably better for your clothes and it's not as viscous as body glide. But again, that's something I like about it, that it it won't ruin your clothes. It's 
better for the environment. It, you can, you know, you might have to reapply, but I do actually, I've used it for, for non-sport purposes before just because I needed something that was, I didn't necessarily want to use like Vaseline or body glide on something, but I needed some like chief protection. So, so chamois cream is, it is something that protects from shape, shape, chafing. It's a skin lubricant. And most of the time it's used in your bike shorts for, to avoid saddle sores and unnecessary chafing in a sensitive area, but it can be used all over. I also use it for my wetsuit a lot of the time because it won't ruin my wetsuit. So like around my neck, around my ankles and wrists, um, I use it a lot for that as well. And the sunscreen of course is from Zelios is a huge thing that I've been using lately. Um, just, I mean, literally every time I'm going outside these days to make sure I am covering myself this summer, the East Coast sun is no joke. So we just want to make sure we're always using our sunscreen and Zelios has a great product for that as well as um, like a full line of shower products, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, all that stuff. Um, and it is environmentally friendly and it's not tested on animals. Teamzelios.com. Use the code Ironwomen, 15% off, support the podcast, get yourself some chamois cream or some of that sun barrier SPF 45. We definitely need that in the Northern Hemisphere these days. And, and speaking of codes, Alyssa, we have, we do want to clarify on our noon code, our noon, uh, discount code. Yes. So last week we told you guys that the noon discount code had changed to live feisty. And we just wanted to clarify that a little bit that it is capital L I V E capital F E I S T Y lowercase. So it's like the L and the F are capitalized. The rest is lowercase one word. And that is the 30% discount code for noon. Noonlife.com. Use the code livefeisty. All one word, but it is case sensitive. Capital L, capital F. And if you are confused about the codes or the websites or the percentage off, head to ironwomenpodcast.com and you should be able to see it all there in writing if, uh, if we've confused you at all with our conversation here. I don't know why anyone would be confused. That was totally clear to me. <laughs> but um, Haley, we did get a mailbag question in. So you can send questions about triathlon or life to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we do have one question that came in from Terry. And Haley Terry basically realized that the last race she had on her schedule was canceled. She was going to race Ironman 70.3 Traverse City. So now she has no races on the podcast, but are on the on the docket. But she's been listening to our podcast. And some of the fun things we've been talking about has kept her spirits up. So we're happy to hear that, Terry. She did a month long running challenge in July called the Blue Crab Bolt. And she has also found a new hobby and sport bike packing, which maybe was inspired from Lael Wilcox. So it she has a question for us about if we've found new sports or hobbies that we're doing or ones that we are looking to try. So maybe she's looking for some more inspiration about some some new things to be taking up now that she has some non race time on her hands. Well, at the Outspoken Summit last year, Sal Edwards said that everyone should start a podcast. So I don't know if my mini podcast series counts as a new hobby, but that is something new that I've done in the last couple of months. And I actually edit those myself. And so that's kind of been a new hobby that I've learned. And it's, it's sort of painful to learn sometimes, but definitely 
maybe good skills, maybe not so good skills. I don't know. Give me some feedback. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Tell me if you think I'm a terrible editor of the mini episodes. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is uh, convincing my parents to become like cinematographers or like film crews for my virtual races and then editing that video into uh, into little Instagram clips that then I can post online. So I don't know if that counts as a hobby either, but I will say video editing is very different than audio editing and a little more difficult, although probably maybe a little bit more like gratifying in the end if you get it to come together. But also harder if you didn't get it the first time, especially if you're trying to like film yourself running up a mountain and you didn't get it. I'm not going to run eight miles up the mountain again. So lots of respect for all the editors out there. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to embrace these new hobbies and it's hard. So I don't know if that helps Terry, but those are, those are, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, Terry, I would say that one of my new hobbies has been like baking and cooking more things like outside of my box. So since I couldn't go out to eat as much and things like that, especially in those beginning times, like I joined a baking challenge on Instagram, which if you follow me on Instagram, you can, I, inst- I gram it sometimes from time to time and anyone's welcome to join that challenge. It's still ongoing. And so that's been fun because every week you get a new thing to bake and it's just, I mean, I had never made like pie crust before. I had never made like a million of the, any of the things I had done really. So that's been definitely outside of my normal activities. And then also just, you know, learning to cook more meals, like in general, I think, and eat out less, I think has really expanded like my abilities in the kitchen in general. So that's been a fun hobby for me. And then sport wise, I I have been thinking a lot <laughs> about getting a mountain bike. I haven't actually pulled the trigger yet and I'm still managing to not pull the trigger because, which is actually a good thing. Um, because yeah, so I don't have, I I'm glad I haven't like gone down that road just yet, but, um, that's something I'm definitely considering like some more off road type of activities. But for me, sport wise, like one of my sports has for the most part continued to be open and accessible for me, which is like trail running and ultra running and stuff. And so I do feel like I was very fortunate to have that outlet kind of stay constant through the whole thing. But I know, like, I know fellow pro um, Sarah Karpinski is actually also doing some bike packing. She's going from, hopefully it's okay, Sarah, if I'm telling, I don't know if Sarah even listens, but hopefully it's okay I'm talking about this. She um, she is bike packing from her home outside of Washington, D.C. to Ohio, like her childhood home, I believe. And so that's like a five-day long bike packing adventure. So I do think those kinds of things, I mean, I don't think we know how long we'll be in this state of non-racing, but bikepacking definitely sounds like something I would be interested in taking up. Um, I'd also be interested in taking up like adopting 55 animals for my house. And that's something I haven't really gotten around to either. So I don't know, you know, ask us again in six months and these answers might have totally changed. And I'm living in a home with like a million dogs. We'll see. That would be quite the adventure, quite the hobby. And then I hope that walking would also be added to that hobby list then like long, long dog walks all day with like a pack. Oh, for sure. That would be like, like the, the waist would, belt I love with like 25 leashes attached, you know, I think that's like a must. I can't imagine <laughs> just cowboy can like, he can stop me in my tracks. I'm like, okay, we're stopping to smell this flower. You win. I can't imagine 25. That would be hard, but 
if anyone can do it, it's you, Alyssa. But thank you to Terry for that great question. If anyone else wants to write into our mailbag, it is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we will try to answer your questions. And one announcement we forgot earlier that was on the list. Um, the Outspoken Summit, which I mentioned in that answer, it will not be happening in person in 2020. It was scheduled for this November, but it won't be happening, unfortunately. But a virtual award ceremony is scheduled for November 15th, 2020. And the nominations are open now. They include awards like coach of the year, race director of the year, athlete of the year, outspoken woman of the year, and many, many more. So head to outspokensummit.com for the full list of categories. And you can get the link to the nomination page. You can nominate all the fantastic women in your triathlon life. And you can nominate as many women as you want. So definitely get on that. Those nominations are open through September 1st. So you have a little bit of time to think, but time moves fast. September 1st will probably be here before we realize it. So don't, don't waste that time. Get those nominations in. And again, you can nominate people, more, more women than you want, so, or more women than you want any women that you want. And uh, so if you think of someone today and you nominate them and then you're like, wait, I want to nominate someone else. I guess then you can in a couple weeks, go back and nominate the other person. So um, outspokensummit.com for all that information. Okay, Haley. And while this might be like rivaling one of our longest intros ever, um, we actually, we do have an interview to share with everyone today too. This is a special one too. This great, this is a great interview. Jocelyn Wong Neal, who was also known during much of her professional triathlon career as the Wong star is a former professional triathlete and a self-proclaimed Asian triathlon superstar. She found the sport at a very young age. She raced her first Ironman when she was only 20 years old in 2007. She noticed that then triathlon powerhouse team sponsored by the bicycle boutique, often called team TBB, while it was based in Asia, it featured no professional athletes of Asian descent. She wrote an essay and in 2007 earned a spot on the team. She tells us about her time on Team TBB, from the workouts and the team dynamics to how she got faster and her financial struggles, as well as how her prolific blogging both helped set her apart and earned her a few haters. Alyssa and I were both avid followers of Jocelyn's blog when we first started the sport. And I think I can speak for many of us that while she probably didn't realize it, Jocelyn did influence many women to give professional triathlon a try. We'll have our conversation with Jocelyn Wong Neal right after the break. Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens. You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Normally, we start these conversations by welcoming our guests to the Iron Women podcast, but I'm actually not sure how to properly greet you. Do you prefer Jocelyn or Wongstar? Um, either is fine, but uh, people that have known me in the triathlon world might know me better as the Wongstar. So welcome to the Iron Women podcast, Wongstar. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Um, as a longtime listener and huge fan and supporter of the show, I'm really excited to be here. 
And you are a retired professional triathlete, a certified prosthetist, orthotist, and from a quick look of your blog, an avid list maker. So how's current life <laughs> and have you checked anything off your to-do list this morning? Let's see. Um, I've been trying to sleep in, which I was really good at at the beginning of the pandemic. But I think if you're looking at my latest list, it's like the 19 during COVID-19. I think I put 19 as like a secret project. And so I haven't updated that my blog in a while, but my secret project actually is what I'm working on the most, which is I am 16 weeks pregnant. Wow. Congratulations. Breaking <laughs> Is this breaking news right here on the, on the Iron Room podcast? Um, it was announced on, we did the worldwide social media announcement a couple weeks ago. So it's not, it's not new to people that know me, but if people haven't heard from me in a while, then it might be breaking news. That's super exciting. And congratulations on that. That probably makes your list making and like to do's about a hundred times longer. I imagine as you have a lot to prepare (laughs) for now in the coming months. Um, And Jocelyn, you mentioned blogging and maybe not having updated your blog too much recently, but you were possibly the most prolific professional triathlete blogger during the late aughts and the early 2010s. And you actually still maintain that blog, even though like you've called it an outdated medium, you know, it might not be updated as much as it was back then, that kind of thing. But can you tell us about your history on blogging? Haley and I are both blog lovers and blog followers of yours. As we got started in the sport, we were definitely reading yours. That's awesome. Um, So I... I actually started blogging when I was in college, um, which was back in like 2003. I used to have Live Journal, which is like even more outdated than than Blogger. <laughs> but I started on that, and then um, when I got onto Team TVV as a developmental pro triathlete. So this was before there was Instagram, because. The only way you could follow somebody's story, I think, was more on the blogging format. Um, And so I kind of like to say that I was an influencer before that was a thing, because back then, I think a lot of the sponsorships were really heavily based on results. And right now, if you're a pro triathlete, you kind of have to juggle having the great results with also maintaining your social media presence. And so even though I was not coming up with the results yet, um, my team sponsors actually thought I was really valuable in that I could, you know, have a lot of race reports, training updates, tell people what it was like doing training camp with all these Ironman champions. And uh, I've always enjoyed writing. So for me, it came naturally where a lot of my teammates were a little resentful that there was actually, we had a blogging requirement. I think it was only maybe once a month, (laughs) but I did get to the point where at one point, I think someone said I wasn't blogging enough. So I was like, I'll show you. And I, at one point I was blogging almost every day, if not like once, once a week. And at one, and at that point, I think my team manager was like, you're blogging too much. It's like the whole feed on our, team site is just your entries and then he like looked at the I guess the internet stats like how many hits we were getting and I was like 
I don't know. I was coming up with the majority of all the hits to our website just from my blog post. And then so once he saw that, he was like, never mind. <laughs> like, I think the only other person who had a popular blog was Caroline Steffen because she was like killing all the races and winning everything, even though she didn't blog very much. But um, yeah, I had my own. I think I made my own website just because I was like, from the professional side of things, I wanted to kind of be as professional as I could, even though my results weren't quite up there yet. So I had my own website and I had my own Google Analytics. And at one point, I think I saw there were people from 32 countries that had looked at my website and it was like, wow. I don't know where all these people are coming from, but I don't know that I could list 32 countries off the top of my head. Well, as Alyssa mentioned, I was an avid follower of your blog, and it did give us a little insight into what it was like to be a professional triathlete before we were professional triathletes. So thank you. I'm glad we get to thank you kind of in person for putting all of that out there. And just like you found blogging when you were pretty young, you also found triathlon when you were just in college. I think you raced your first Ironman distance race at Ironman Wisconsin in 2002. You were only 20 years old. What drew you to the sport and especially the longer distances when you were still so young? So it was, I grew up uh, born and raised in California and I ran all through middle school and high school. So I come from a running background. Um, I knew I wasn't quite fast enough to compete for a division one track team, but I had wanted to continue running. And so I went to a division three school in Southern California. And then I ran my freshman year, but I got injured pretty quickly. Um, instead of sitting on the bench at track meets and cheering for my teammates, um, I ended up buying, spending all my scholarship money on a bicycle <laughs> because I had a friend who was also a former track runner that was on the cycling team. And kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, well, if I run and I bike, I've heard of this thing called triathlons, but I hadn't actually learned how to swim until I wanted to do a triathlon. And so I was 18 when I wanted to figure out how to swim and do my first triathlon. But I did, I ended up competing on my cycling team in college. Um, and at the end of my freshman year, Ironman California used to, is what Oceanside 70.3 used to be. So it's at Camp Pendleton, used to be a full Ironman. So back in 2000, I was finishing up my freshman year in college and there was this Ironman that was 100 miles away. So one of my uh, track teammates had a music professor that was racing, Rachel. And so we ended up biking from Claremont to Oceanside. And so that was my first 100-mile ride. And volunteering as wetsuit strippers. <laughs> and the whole thing, it was, it was pretty, just pretty insane. Um, so Bill Bell, who just passed away recently, he's like, he, I think at the time he was already 70-something, but I remember hearing that there was this 70-year-old guy racing the Ironman and me being 18 years old and, you know, how cocky we are when we're younger. Like, well, if a 70-year-old guy can do it, then uh, I could probably do an Ironman. And then my friend Joey, who 
She was a senior when I was a freshman. She was one of my mentors, and she had just run the Western States 100. And so I've always been fortunate that I've had these amazing female role models. And she kind of looked me in the eye and was like, I bet if you start training tomorrow, you could do the Ironman next year. (laughs) And so that's kind of how it started. But yeah, it was really weird being like a teenager racing these long Ironman distances because everyone in like, there's no one else in my college doing Ironman triathlons. Like even the local tri clubs, everyone was like two or three times my age. So, but it was something where I just, um, I was just really drawn to it. Um, The longer distances I could keep going and I guess I didn't always have the speed for shorter distances, but I could definitely endure for the long, the long races. It seems almost like a, like a Hallmark movie of having you like surrounded by these female endurance athletes, like, you know, helping you find a way to take this first 100 mile ride and see the Ironman and volunteer and be inspired. Did that music teacher, Rachel, did she end up like helping you as you were preparing for the race at all? Or how did you end up preparing for your first Ironman? Yeah, she ended up, um, we're still like Facebook friends to this day. Um, and she would, once she knew I was interested in pursuing Ironman, like we did, we swam together. Um, I went to Harvey Mudd College, which is one of the Claremont colleges. So she was a teacher at Pomona. So we were allowed to the campus. It's like five small college campuses all together. So we were allowed to train at all the other facilities. So we would train together swimming. um, We would go on bike rides together. And I especially remember she would have me practice my Ironman finish line pose. So (laughs) back then, so back then, (laughs) this was... um, let me think. It was like the early, early 2000s. Back when Ironman entry fees used to cost, I think it was $325 for like an official MDOT race. And they used to hold the finish line tape up for every finisher. But she would, yeah, we would, we would practice at the end of the run. She was like, okay, now imagine that you just finished the marathon after riding your 112 miles and swimming your 2.4 miles. And so make sure you, you, you practice how you want your finish line picture to turn out to be. Was your finish line picture in 2002, everything you had practiced, did that training pay off? Yes. It's an, it's an amazing, <laughs> it's an amazing photo. It's in front I of- might need to add that to some of my athletes, uh, training peaks. We're, we'll have like five minutes of finish line pose practice at the end of every long brick. Jocelyn, you earned a spot on the team TBB or the Bicycle Boutique Developmental Pro Team in 2007. How did that happen? So by then, um, let's see, I'd done, gotten through college and then I went to, to grad school for prosthetics and orthotics in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. And so after you get your master's in prosthetics and orthotics, you do one year of residency in each discipline. So I think I was doing my orthotics residency and then living in Texas then. But I, I actually raced as an amateur triathlete for about, I want to say it was like seven or eight, eight years already. Um, and so I was like a huge tri-nerd, like subscribed to all the triathlete magazines, like followed the slow twitch forums and I think I saw on slow twitch that they were, there was a little buzz about this new pro triathlon team. So I like checked out their website and 
it was a bunch of um, pro athletes I was really familiar with. Um, like I think Belinda Granger was on there and she had won Ironman Canada, which I had raced. Uh, Bella Bayliss used to be Bella Comerford and she was on this team. She had won Ironman Florida, which I had raced. And uh, I knew Hillary Biscay because she was like a top finisher and she was also from California. So all of these like amazing athletes are on this team uh, and they were doing a lot of training camps in Southeast Asia. So one of their goals was to um, encourage more of the local Asian athletes to take, take up triathlon and help develop them. Um, so there also was this tab that just said Asian athletes. And I was like, oh, cool. Let's see who their Asian athletes are. And so um, it turned out it just was a placeholder that said, you know, we are still scouting for our Asian athletes. Come back, <laughs> come back and check again soon. And so I don't know what compelled me to do this, but because I wasn't that spectacular of a triathlete. I think by then I was doing like 12 hour Ironman and like my half was like maybe five and a half hours. But of course, I always had a dream to become a pro triathlete. Like I feel like every age grouper does. And so I just randomly reached out to the team and was like, hey, I would want to I want to learn more about your, you know, your coaching program or your team. Um, I'm an Asian American triathlete and I live in Dallas, Texas right now. So I didn't really think anything of it. But uh, the team manager ended up emailing me back and then. At one point, Brett Sutton, who I didn't realize was the coach of this team, also got copied onto these emails, and suddenly they were talking to me about possibly be joining their team as a developmental member. And um, yeah, it was really kind of being in the right place at the right time, because this was early, I think early to mid-2007. So Chrissy Wellington was also on the team, but she was not a big name then, because if you remember, she broke out in October of 2007 when she won Kona and nobody knew who she was. So she was also on this list of all these fast, fast men and women. And um, yes, so somehow I got I convinced them just through my writing because we did not call. We didn't Skype. It was all back and forth through email. So I guess my writing skills came in handy and I was able to convince them that that I was worthy of being taken on as a developmental athlete. And Jocelyn, you say that you don't know kind of like what compelled you to reach out after you saw the tab on the website that said, you know, Asian athletes are coming soon, <laughs> right? Like check back. <laughs> but so was, you know, do you think there's a part of you that thought, at that time about representation in sport and the importance of it. And like even the glim smallest glimmer in your mind at that point, that was like, Hey, that's me. You know, was that potentially like part of the catalyst to help you reach out and to be like that? Maybe that's like somewhere that I can be representative of other athletes and hopefully get other people in the sport. You know, absolutely. Um, it did. It definitely crossed my mind that they are trying to, they're trying to get more Asians into the sport, but I looked at the roster of athletes and for the most part, all of the athletes were white. Um, I think Reynaldo was on the team from Brazil. Um, 
But for the most part, I, I was thinking if they had somebody that also looked like them, as far as, as reaching out to local triathletes in Asia, that, you know, it, I feel like representation is very important as it's hard to see yourself becoming something if you don't see it, you know, see it in, huh, I don't know how to say this. Um, I feel <laughs> that growing up that I, I come from a very, I never felt like a minority because I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so my high school uh, was in Daly City, just south of San Francisco, which is known for being like very Filipino and very Chinese. So we were uh, not minorities as Asian Americans. And it wasn't until I left to go to like college and grad school and traveled elsewhere in the U.S. that I was like, oh, wow, that was actually pretty unique to the way I was brought up. But uh, I would say even did you guys watch Crazy Rich Asians two years ago? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So in 2018, it was a really big deal because it was the first time in 25 years that there was a like pretty much an all Asian American cast for a major, major motion picture. And even watching that, like I, so many people I know that are also Asian American were like, whoa, it's really, really amazing and touching to actually see yourself on screen for the first time in your whole life, that's not, that's actually an English speaking movie. And even though we all grew up here, it's so different than like any movie we'd ever seen before. So I, I did feel even at a younger age, I had always like talked to potential sponsors, like, oh, I wanna be like the Michelle Kwan or the Michelle Wee of triathlon because you just don't see very many Asians um, in the sport here in the US. The idea of an age grouper joining a developmental pro team seems pretty unusual these days. Do you think the team support was ultimately what got you to that pro card qualification? Definitely, yes, because I think at the time I was more focused on my career. And I remember having these early conversations with our coach, Brett, that, you know, like you have to basically go all in with with the amount of talent you have he's always like prided himself in being able to like turn any any regular person into a professional um so I gave him quite a challenge with my lack of swimming skills <laughs> but um being in that environment I think initially he wanted me to come to their Switzerland camp right away and I still had one more year of residency left. So that's where I'm kind of proud of myself for putting my foot down and saying, I've got to finish my residency first because I knew that prosthetics and orthotics was always a career that I wanted to, to go back to. Um, but yeah, uh, it was really difficult at the beginning because I was, I was so much slower than everybody, even though he had trained me remotely online for a year. Um, once I got to, my first training camp, it was really intimidating. Um, I think the first camp I did was in the fall of 2008. So a lot of the really fast people were already in Kona doing um, 
their Kona preparation. So I was with a bunch of other developmental athletes, but I think for the most part, a lot of them had already qualified for their pro licenses. So um, they were already faster than I was, where it took me, I think, um, until May of the following year, going through probably six months of training camps, where I qualified for my pro license at the Florida 70.3 in May in Orlando. Um, but yeah, uh, what I really like about your podcast, though, is that you two really encourage women to take their pro license if they're qualified instead of, you know, sandbagging in their age group. <laughs> so I felt like I was one of those athletes where it was like, no, I've never won my age group. I've never qualified for Ironman Hawaii as an age grouper. But I remember winning my age group at that race and um, they were also handing out uh, slots for the 70.3 World Championships. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm taking my pro card. That's awesome. And I was saying that it probably feels that much sweeter to, you know, be able to say like, no, thank you to the World Championships. I'm taking my pro card when you have worked as hard as it, it would have taken and like gone through the physical, mental, emotional side of being the slowest at all of those can't, you know, like, I mean, months on end of that is, is draining in a way, you know, and to be able to stick with it. Do you think it was like the coaching staff or was it like really the support of other athletes around you that like kept you positive or is it just like your own, you, you knew what you were getting into and you were going to stay positive through that? Um, I think the coaching, the coaching really helped and Having supportive teammates is helpful, although I will say not everyone was supportive. There were, so I, I feel like sometimes it was like from the movie Mean Girls. So there were some, some other teammates that were not so supportive. They didn't know why I was on the team. Um, and they just were like, I don't know. I, I, was, I wouldn't say I was bullied, but I was kind of laughed at sometimes until I actually got faster. Like, I just put my head down and worked. And then on, on, the, other, on the flip side, there were some that were really supportive from the beginning. Um, and then there were some that just kind of stayed away, didn't say anything. And once, that, once I started improving, actually started talking to me. So it was a very bizarre dynamic. But I think the biggest thing was that I committed myself 100% to becoming a pro. So I wasn't working at all. Um, I was completely, uh, completely committed to being a professional triathlete, which I know not everyone has the luxury of doing. So it was... Yeah, being able to be at those training camps instead of actually holding a real job. Um, Finance-wise is a different story, but, <laughs> but commitment-wise, um, I, I feel like that's how I got there. I don't know that I would have been able to do it if I was working part-time and also trying to, to race and train at that level. We had another team TBB alum, Kate Pallardy, on the show last year, and she shared a few stories from the team TBB training camps. Do you have a favorite story you can share? Do you want to name some names on who was mean to you? Who? <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> 
<laughs> no pressure. No pressure. You don't have to do it. Was it Chrissy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was not. So the the year I uh, 2009 was the year I really had all my breakthroughs, and I think by then Chrissy, Belinda, and Hillary all ended up uh, going elsewhere because of censorship conflicts. Um, Kate, I actually bumped into Kate at the JFK 50. Um, a couple of years ago when she won, won that race. But yeah, I have good memories with Kate. Um, but yeah, they did. I, until I heard, reheard that interview, I forgot that, yeah, coach called her Baywatch because she had this red one piece swimsuit. <laughs> but um, let me see. So I do have, I, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but there was, there was one girl where I think early on at this camp, there were a lot of really high level women. And I remember coach had us doing hill repeats. Um, and from, from watching the way I ran, he knew I could like run these hills really strong. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So nothing but hills. We eat hills for breakfast. Um, so I would charge these hills and then turn around and really take it easy going downhill where um, a lot of these other girls, I feel like it was almost like a slugfest because they all, there was a lot of egos on the team and I wasn't really a part of that because I wasn't very fast. So a lot of the faster girls with bigger egos were always trying to like duke it out. So they would just kill each other on these hill reps and then like not even recover on the downhill and kind of like crush each other on the downhill and then go back up. So at one point, uh, Brett got tired of it and had, um, he was like, okay, I want you guys to do these hill repeats, but you don't go any faster than the Wong star. <laughs> and I was just like, ugh, <laughs> I gotta deal with these girls. <laughs> so um, at, so I remember they were, they thought it was kind of a joke. So they I would like charge these uphills and I remember the first couple repeats they were like kind of laughing and talking the whole way like not taking it seriously and then I would like slow down and ease on the downhill and then but I just kept going like I could maintain my speed through all the hill repeats and I think by the fifth one I was like starting to drop some of them and then, um, so coach actually called them out and was like, all right, I want, I want you guys, the ones that I was dropping, he's like, this is like embarrassing for you guys. So go finish your run elsewhere. And so that's, that's one workout I'll never forget. Cause this was like when I was still not very fast, but then I had another teammate where she was supposed to race the Singapore 70.3, but she got injured and I ended up getting her um, her entry, but I remember before she like left to go home, she kind of was like, well, here's the entry that was supposed to be mine. Maybe you'll win it. Ha, ha, ha. And I was just like, oh, that's so mean. <laughs> because she knew I wasn't going to win it. <laughs> but yeah, it was, there was stuff like that. Um, and then I ended up, so I ended up being a member of the team for four years and I lasted for quite a while, I think because like me and Brett reached an understanding, like he knew I worked really hard and like there was no BS. Um, 
and that I could listen. I was a good listener. Not everyone like listened to what he had to say, but I felt like he knows what he's doing. So if you like actually do what he tells you to do, like you'll actually, you'll get places. But he was also notorious for not really liking Americans. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard that one, but um, in the beginning, I think Hillary Biscay and Siri Lindley were like his only really successful American athletes. So he always had the opinion that like Americans are too soft. Um, so that's where being Asian American helped me as well. Cause at one point he was like, yeah, Americans are really soft. I don't really think of you as an American though, <laughs> because of the way you were brought up. And I was like, okay, thanks, I guess. And Jocelyn, you raced as a professional then from 2008 to 2011, dropping from a 12-hour Ironman time to finish sub-10 and even winning two iron distance races in Korea. So, but despite that success, you have written about how you received occasional backlash from anonymous haters. And so <laughs> it seems like maybe even just within the team environment, you were able to build up some thick skin and, you know, from from that kind of thing. But did the negative comments ever get to you? Um, a lot of the negative comments were about my my swimming ability or lack thereof. And, you know, I, I could understand where they're coming from. But, um, yeah, at the same time, I, I did have a lot of difficulty having consistent swim performances. Um, so not being from a swimming background and learning how to swim basically self-taught when I was 18, that still remained a struggle. Um, and so depending on the race situation, I, I found like I could swim, like I had a couple of 105s and then I think my best was a 102, but I would also have performance anxiety in the swim, which didn't help the more people like bashed my swim. So there were a lot of cases where um, I think I would start a race and when I started racing more in the U S and the fields were a lot bigger, um, then it was, it was the situation where I think, do you still only get a five minute head start in the swim? If that, you know, sometimes it's like, well, no, we get, well, I guess it, it depends, depends on the race, right? Yeah. It could depend a lot on the race and it's like the rolling starts now make it all different, but we could get yeah. five to 10 minutes, I would say, is probably average, right, Haley? Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds right. It's been so yeah. long since we've been racing, I'm forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there would be situations where I think even though you get a head start, like the five minutes wasn't enough for me. And so, as the age groupers would catch up to me, and this was before the rolling starts, it was like always the mass start right after the pro start. And so, the more that they would catch up to me. Um, it kind of just messed with my head and I felt like, like I would just start going backwards and it was like really disheartening. So depending on what the race situation was, I would have these great, fantastic swims in the low, low sixties, or I could like just totally, um, kind of blow up and kind of give up mentally because there were so many people like clobbering me from the, the age group mass start where I would then swim, I think like in the one twenties. And so it was kind of all over the place. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the other thing that I got passionate about was because like the two of you read my blog. So 
So I always had this whole tongue-in-cheek thing where I was like, I'm going to be a triathlon superstar. And people that understand, understood my sense of humor, like, it's all tongue-in-cheek. And I felt like, um, you know, I would always project being more confident than I really was. So I'll, some of those, those online trolls would just be like, oh, she's so full of herself. Like, look at what her results are. And um, she has no business, like, talking herself up so much. And so it was kind of on, on that end. If you don't have confidence in yourself, who's going to, or if you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect anyone else to, right? That's, uh, that's what I tell myself anyway. Exactly. But Jocelyn, a blog post you wrote after racing four Ironmans in 11 weeks in the summer of 2010 has always stuck with me. You wrote about withdrawing $10 from your bank account and seeing a balance of $4.32. Can you tell us about the financial stress you felt during your pro triathlon career? Yes, yes, I do. I remember that. I remember that entry really well because I remember that experience of not having money. Um, so, um, you know, I was really fortunate and I grew up, so I'm a first generation Chinese American. Um, so my parents immigrated to the States in the 70s. So it was always about like school, getting into good, a good college, focusing on academics and a career. So it, it is pretty unusual for someone with that background to then, you know, kind of throw, throw their career to the side and be like, oh, I want to be a pro triathlete where the prospects of making money is really little. Um, so, so on one hand, um, my parents were supportive enough that they kind of, <laughs> they're like, okay, but you're going to go back to your real job one day, right? Um, but I was a little bit too proud to ask for their financial help as I was like slugging through my first couple of years as a pro. Um, and timing wise, there was a huge, the great recession happened like 2008, 2009. At the same time, I believe 2010 was the year Ironman was like, by the way, if you don't finish within the top 8% of the, of the winning time, you don't get any prize money. So my first full year, 2009, was pretty good. I, I raced overseas a lot, and I made, I think I made $5,000 in prize money, which was a lot more than we thought I would make. Like, Brett honestly was like, oh, I thought you are going to make $0. <laughs> Um, and then I was getting a $600 stipend from the team. So there, there were different tier tiers to the team as far as like, depending on how fast you were, um, you got a certain, certain stipend every month. And so I got $600, which didn't quite cover my student loan payments. <laughs> so yeah, in addition to all that, like in the back of my mind, I also, had I think over a hundred thousand dollars in student loans that I was able to uh, I think you're able to plead economic hardship for three years on your loans. So I think I still had to pay like one set of loans, which was like two or three hundred a month. I think if I had to pay both, it would have been six hundred a month, which is my whole stipend. But I do remember uh, having a lot of pro homestays. Um, 2010 was really difficult because I think I finished 
I finished fifth at Ironman Malaysia. I felt like I finished what would have been in the prize money on any other year at a handful of races, but just with the, the way they had changed the rules, um, I didn't actually get any prize money until they they rescinded that rule in September at Ironman Wisconsin, and that's when I got my first paycheck that whole year. Um, and then it was just, it's, I feel like for, for all pros, unless you are winning world championships or the Olympics and you got a lot of sponsors or you also work part time, it's just, it's so difficult. Um, I think I ended up working part time towards the, I want to say the end of 2010, I actually moved to Delaware where I, where I still am at today because the bike boutique opened up its first U.S. store. So I was working a little bit part-time at the bike shop, helping with some marketing stuff. Um, I think I was working, I picked up a freelance uh, writing gig for MSN TV's website, which is super random, but apparently one of the, uh, one of the editors read my blog. <laughs> so the, the blogging actually came in handy and he was like, I like your writing style. What do you think of... Um, doing some freelance writing. Uh, and at the time, you know, all I did was train, eat, sleep, work out. Um, I didn't really watch TV very much, but I could Google things. So I was actually, you know how sometimes you, you get to these entertainment websites and it's like you click through a gallery of like, you know, I think I did one that was like the top 10 nerds in television that kind of thing. But I would get, I think the pay was like 500 bucks per article, which was more than what I was making for, um, you know, winning any prize money at a race. So if I wrote like an article, you know, once a week or every other week, that wasn't bad. Um, so it was, it was, it was tricky, but you know, finances were definitely one of the reasons I ended up, um, going back to my prosthetics career like on top of the three-year thing on student loans expiring. Um, but also, uh, you know, the career I have now is very rewarding. And I, I did miss having direct patient care with people. When I was on Team TBV, I did um, volunteer at some medical missions. Um, just to, because for my own curiosity on how prosthetics are made in different countries, but also to at least keep myself somewhat relevant while I was while I was racing triathlons. Given that it's been almost 10 years since you wrote that blog post, would you look back and say that the professional triathlete experience was, was worth it for you? Yes. Um, a hundred percent. So I have no regrets at all. Um, I was really, um, I, I, at one point I felt like it might hurt my prosthetics career, but I've actually found that it's helped, um, one of my former bosses, um, when I worked, I worked at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C., so that was pretty neat. Um, one of the bosses there was actually an Olympian for Ireland in whitewater kayaking. And then I met my current boss at a Challenge Athletes Foundation running clinic where they teach amputees how to run on prosthetic legs. And I've always felt like having that having the pro triathlon experience on my resume actually helped me stand out compared to other applicants. Um, 
And everyone knows that athletes are hardworking, very disciplined, good team players. And so I've always felt that that helped. Jocelyn, when you look at how triathlon has evolved since 2010 with social media creating more opportunities for exposure and sponsorship, and given the following you created with what was available a decade ago, do you ever wish your career had spanned a few years later? <laughs> so, you know what, uh, what also happened when I retired was I think Iron Man got bought out by a Chinese corporation. <laughs> So it did. I, I remember when that happened, I like I had joked like, oh, maybe I should go back. I should go back to um, racing pro because I, I bet I would be a good representative for them to like try to bring more China, Chinese athletes into the sport. But yeah, as far as social media, um, it's such a different ballgame than it was 10 years ago. Um, it's pretty insane because now you have people that are influencers that aren't don't even have any results they just look good in their pictures and are like great at at getting thousands of followers and they're getting a lot of the sponsorship money that the pros have to fight for so it's kind of I don't know um at the same time like you women are way faster so (laughs) I don't know there's like pros and cons to like both It's evolved so much. I think like racing, as the racing has gotten faster, like everyone just realizes they have to get faster. So you start like meeting that next Mm -hmm. bar, right? So so it's so hard to compare like decade to decade, I guess, the level of racing. But it definitely on as a trend, everyone does seem to be getting faster somehow. Um, And we wanted to ask, too, that in 2012, you raced Ironman Louisville as an amateur in the 30 to 34 age group. So how was that race experience different compared to your races experienced as a pro? So that was the last Ironman I ever did that I possibly ever will do. (laughs) And I think at the time, so I had a very difficult transition, uh, stepping down from being a pro and then uh, transitioning into being a so-called normal person with like a, a nine to five, eight to five job. Um, And there was a short stint where I actually was, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do next. And I ended up thinking like, maybe I'll try to become a race walker and, and make the Olympic team for the U.S. in race walking. Cause Brett had always said like my shuffle was more like a race walk. Um, I, that only lasted a couple months. And then, um, did you actually do some race walking racing? So I actually, I found an actual coach (laughs) that was willing to coach me locally, um, who had written books on race walking. Uh, but I don't think it was like race walk. It wasn't track season. So it's a, it's one of the sports in one of the events in track. Um, so I don't think I, I did, I didn't ever actually compete as a race walker, but it's, it's a very technical sport where you had to. You have to bend your, you have to straighten your knee all the way when you, when it lands. And because I was, I was involved in a bike crash uh, during Ironman Korea, um, I injured my knee and apparently I couldn't straighten it out on command, like to make it obvious that I wasn't cheating. Um, but going back to Ironman, like I did, I missed triathlon and I missed Ironman and I just, I struggled with how to, how do you go back to doing triathlon when you had competed at such a high level. Um, 
and I was also juggling trying to like work full time. Um, so it was really weird for me to suddenly go. I think it, in the past I had always been a college student that was doing Ironmans, and so I hadn't ever like tried to do do it all at once and do it at a higher level. So I was like, well, how much fitness could I have really lost? So I didn't actually train very much, and it was painful. But it was also back when Louisville was still in August. I think now it's like what, like later in the year. Um, yeah, it's so, in October. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was really hard, and I was like, I forgot how hard Ironman is. But um, I don't know. I think I just kind of had a chip on my shoulder as far as like the way I left the sport, and I was like, I just want to do like one more Ironman on my own terms, and. And I got it done and I realized how hard it is and how hard it is to do when you're also working like a full-time job. And I was like, you know, I'm good now. Like I've gone back and forth with um, what I want to do athletically. And I like dabbled in like some obstacle course races. I've done like some trail races and ultras, um, done some sprint triathlons. I might like do another half Ironman. Um I don't know if people even call them that anymore because I've been like, you know, I've been actually this month is like, I think the 20 year anniversary of when I first did a triathlon when I was 18. And so, you know, I, I definitely remember when Ironman suddenly branded these half Ironmans as a 70.3 and we were like, what? <laughs> there are many things where the Ironman does that people are like, what? <laughs> but, uh, Jocelyn, we mentioned your blog several times. Where can our listeners find you and follow all of your shenanigans, including the not-so-secret project that you have going on right now? Um, where where can we find you? Um, so I still have a blog on Blogger, Blogspot, whatever it used to be called. Um, it's uh, www.thewongstar.com. I really do need to update it more. So I more uh, I do update my Instagram a little bit more, and it's not at the Wong Star. It is at J W Neil N E I L L three zero two, which is the area code for Delaware. So that's where I post most of my updates. And yeah, blogging. I feel like I'll get back to you at some point, maybe or maybe not. Mommy blogging is quite popular still these days. <laughs> Mommy Instagramming. I mean, I feel like you there's there's a there's definitely a market there for you. But thank you so much, Jocelyn, for coming on the show today. We'll be sure to link to your blog and your Instagram in our show notes. And best of luck to you. Thank you. Good luck to both of you as well. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Alyssa, 10 years ago, you were an avid follower of Jocelyn's blog. I don't think you ever met her in person, but now that you've had this conversation with her, 
was it what you expected? I think so. I think Jocelyn's the type of person, like, especially when you follow her blog, she writes honestly and she like tells it how it is. She was writing about how she was putting herself out there and like, you know, just crazy fun stories that were happening through her time. And so I guess it just makes sense to like have it come full circle and now, you know, quote, meet her in person and be talking to her and like, you know, I guess her, the stories she told us now don't surprise me because it was like, it was almost as if everything I read in the blog previously was like flooding back to me as she was telling some of the stories because I was like, oh yeah, like they were there and that kind of thing. And like, she did train with that person. She was on TBB at that the same time. And so it was kind of like nostalgic, I guess, for me to like hear some of that and to just think back to like that time when I was, you know, idolizing a lot of the women who were racing around her and training with her. And it was just cool to see that now, you know, she to get to talk to her after she was someone who inspired me to really pursue triathlon. She did actually pass me in a race once, I think in Louisville, 2010, she passed me on the bike and I knew who she was because I followed her blog, but, um, I am a big fan. I'm so thankful that Jocelyn came on and shared those stories. And I'm so grateful that she is still a fan of the sport, even though she is retired from professional triathlon and obviously embarking on a new adventure. She still follows a lot of the women in the sport. And I think that's so admirable. And I'm just, it makes me really appreciate triathlon and the people who I meet through the sport. So big thanks to Jocelyn. And if anyone does want to check out her blog, we will make sure that we link to the current one. I think on the, the current current blog, you can still find her old TBB blogs if you, if you search hard enough, but the current blog, we'll link to that in the show notes. So pe- people can follow her, her blogging adventures as she, uh, continues through the rest of life <laughs> i can't imagine and has a I human it has a, a baby soon yeah <laughs> i can't imagine a world where jocelyn isn't blogging but uh Alyssa, have a great week and again if, if you're not doing anything saturday morning iron man watch uh or facebook watch iron man virtual race watch me throw down against Haley. Some pretty fantastic women from Good my luck. garage i will a hundred percent be watching. So have fun and yeah, well, I'm excited to hear all about it next week. Bye Alyssa. Bye Haley. The iron woman podcast loves gooder sunglasses. They're made in recklessly fun colors and come in styles that actually look good. My favorite is flamingos on a booze cruise. They have translucent pink frames and teal lenses that add a pop of color to all my workout clothes. Gooder sunglasses are no slip, no bounce, and polarized. I raced in a pair of Gooders at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials earlier this year. Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing, nothing at all. Gooder sunglasses start at only $25 a pair, so no discounts are needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. Go to gooder.com forward slash feisty. That's G O O D R.com forward slash F E I S T Y. Check out the Live Feisty curated collection or pick up your own favorites. Look good, run gooder. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. 
as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.